Testing, 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 do you read? We in here! It's time for the Midday Madness Sports Podcast. Welcome back to episode two of season two of the Midday Man of Sports podcast. Eric Miller alongside Noah Peglin. Uh, we are joined live in our home studios. So I want to thank you for listening to us wherever it may be. Spotify, Google, Apple, any place you really get your uh, your podcast. Um, obviously, this is something new still. Then having Noah join us has been a life changing because at least now we can have a conversation with people. It's not just me talking and no longer. It's, it's finally having a conversation with someone. So now how has your week been? No, it's certainly great, Eric and uh happy new year to everyone enjoying uh, the start of 2022 as the NFL season. I mean, it's been extended of course, because we got week 18 coming up. It's the first time ever. And here we are still playing January football, and it's exciting. The playoffs begin next week, but yet there's still a lot up for grabs in this upcoming seat this last week. So it's going to be interesting to see who comes out on top for these spots, Eric. How, how have you been? I've been pretty well. I've been back to work, so that's been a little adjustment to get back there. Waking up at 5.30 to be there for 6, and then having my uh, my couple hours off, and then going back in at, like, 3. So it's it's an adjustment. It's first week back, but – and then next week we only have, like, four days off – or four days in. So it's crazy. But, you know, it's, it's the new year. And speaking of the new year, how crazy was this past weekend in the NFL? It was <laughs> – it was crazy. I don't even know where to start, honestly. No, yeah, to look at, I mean, some of those games, I mean, you saw New England, they demolished Jacksonville, and then you see the Arizona-Dallas game, which ended up being a fight right down to the end, and even the Raiders-Colts game ended up being a surprise with uh, Wentz getting in the last second after, you know, he had tested positive the week before, and thanks to the protocols, he was able to play, so it ended up working out, and it ended up being a close game, but still... Also, that Chiefs and Bengals game. That was Man, a good game. Joe Burrow, I love watching that. Spectac- spectacular. And congratulations to the Cincinnati Bengals, of course. Yeah, and now another new King of the North, if you want to call them, after a Game of Thrones reference right there. They are now – They we now know that they have the North. Um, so we got two – we at least got one right last weekend. We still have a chance for New England to still reign supreme in the East. But you picked Buffalo last week because I'm looking at my notes from last week. Uh, obviously, Tennessee's already locked up the South. Tampa Bay is locked up the South as well. Kansas City is already locked up the West. Uh, the the West still isn't ro- isn't locked up yet, and or locked up yet in the 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 uh, NFC side. We both picked LA, and that that's going to be a pivotal game because if they lose, Arizona gets to sneak in as that two that three seed. And San Francisco will still get in if they win. And obviously they're playing for a lot more right now than the Rams are, but it's, that's going to be another big enticing game this weekend. Then you have the Raiders versus the chargers. If they tie, they both get in. If they don't, well, like one gets in one doesn't. So how do you, how do you manage that game? And if the jets, if the jets beat the bills, I will have a prediction that's right that New England will win. And they looked pretty good last week. Again, they played against Tom Brady, 
And we'll get to that game in a little bit as well with the extracurricular stuff that happened. But they played very well last week. They had a 14-point lead over Tom Brady going into the fourth quarter. Again, poor management at the end and the terrible, terrible fourth and two. And you're going to run it instead of getting the points and a field goal. Like, I would have gone for the field goal. You're going to ice it. They don't have any timeouts anyways. It's going to put them more in danger of trying to get in to the end zone and then getting another field goal. I, I don't understand that one, but they looked good up to that point of the game. And then I realized, oh, wait, it's Tom Brady. No timeouts. This is fine. There's too much time left for him. But I last weekend was a great weekend to start off the new year for the NFL. Now, yeah, to look as a whole, there was it's a few weeks for like week 14 and a few others where it was a lot of blowouts where there were games won by like 14 or 20 points where it just wasn't any close competition, but yet that Jets Buccaneers game ended up being a head turner for a bit because I didn't know what was going on down uh, at MetLife stadium. I mean, the Jets pull off some of these surprising wins from time to time. I mean, they did it earlier in the year. You beat the Titans uh, in that spectacular game. And yeah, that Bengals game too, as well. I mean, you, you, have the ability to compete against top teams and it's just a part of what's being built for the future. But as a whole, again, like that it's the playoffs finally coming to life. And then obviously there were probably some players that were able to return due to COVID protocols, especially since now that they were shortened, but also again, a lot of these players playing for the extra incentives that they want because, again, it's like you get over a certain amount of yards, certain amount of touchdowns. You end up making like an extra $300,000 or almost a million just by meeting a certain quota for your statistics. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, and obviously, I like, no, I'm going to let you pick first. What, what game should we talk about first? <laughs> I think we should talk about the Bengals and Chiefs because okay. that was certainly um, a game that altered the AFC playoff picture the most. Yeah, and I think and if you're a fantasy football player or person like I am, that actually a friend of mine ended up helping him more with Jamar Chase. I had Joe Burrow in that game thinking, all right, if you're going to get some points, I might as well get some points out of this. But in our league, Jamar Chase had like over 100-something points in the game for fantasy league, but he was unbelievable. He had more yards than... Um, then Mahomes did passing. Isn't that crazy? More yards of receiving yards than passing yards of Mahomes. I mean, it's just been a spectacular combination with Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow. A lot of people criticize the pick with Jamar Chase because they're like all looking at it and just thinking, well, let's just draft Joe Burrow's friend from LSU. That's going to work out when, you know, people kept commenting on the fact that Joe Burrow didn't have any protection last year with that offensive line. That's the whole reason for his injury. But yet Jamar Chase has been a big piece of this offense where it has allowed Burrow to expose the weaknesses, but then also build up his strengths to what the Cincinnati offense is capable of doing under Zach Taylor. I felt that Zach Taylor was on the hot seat coming into this year. A lot of people did because there was no progress being made with Cincinnati, and they felt that there was going to be change needed to be made at the end of the year. But now looking at this, 
They just won the AFC North over the Pittsburgh Steelers, who has been their older brother since the beginning of time. And then the Ravens, who have been another bully of the team against them, but yet they beat them twice. That was critical. And Mm -hmm. then you see also Cleveland always being a tough team as this as what they've been able to do. But then you look at what Cincinnati has done. They won this division in a very tough way too. beating Kansas city, Patrick Mahomes, especially when they had finally gotten their momentum back. That was so difficult for them to do, but yet they did it by draining the clock and not allowing Mahomes any time to get down the field. Yeah. And it seemed like this was going to be the game that marked down in the calendar later on. You didn't really think anything of, but now, and especially with Kansas city getting a lot of their momentum back, as you said, and then, seeing Cincinnati start to really know who they are. Mixon is healthy, so that's another big piece for that. Mixon normally is uh, is hurt or is not or is this. It just doesn't seem like the right fit. Then they had the whole, uh, if you think about years before, they had Andy Dalton. Is he the right quarterback for us? Is he not? Is A.J. Green a good receiver for us? Is he not? There were so many questions going into the last, I, I would say the last five years for this team. And then they finally said, you know what? Dalton, we like you. You're a good person, but you you need to succeed somewhere else. We're going to start fresh. We're going to bring in this new coach. I still feel like last year you have to give coaches a pass. It was COVID. It was not. It was very un, unmanageable and unpredictable. So you didn't really know what was going to happen. And I think some of the some of the coaches that were in hot seat this year probably deserved. But I feel like with him, with COVID and everyone else last year, you have to give them a pass. Everyone didn't really know what the heck was going on. We didn't know, are you allowed to play? What's the protocol for this? There were so many things up in the air, and it's just kind of like, what what's going on? But now we're starting. It's being managed again. It's being fine. And all of a sudden, now you see Cincinnati at full strength with a good running game, with a good passing game. We already knew what Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase did in LSU. And now we're seeing them in the NFL, and it's like they're picking up right where they left off, and now they're the the Kings in the North. But I wonder if part of them got lucky this year with a – I'm not saying it was an easier schedule, but Pittsburgh wasn't as healthy this year. Cleveland is – we have no idea what's going on with Cleveland this year either. They were a very good running team. They made it to the divisional playoffs last year, and then they lose, and then they start getting hit with COVID and other things. And then Baltimore, you lose Lamar Jackson. There goes basically your entire offense. So I wonder if part of it was get them getting lucky for this season. But when Lamar Jackson comes back, if Pittsburgh gets their act together next year and gets an actual decent quarterback, they can still be in that little playoff that that uh the North on, you know. And who knows what's going on with Cleveland? Is this going to be the swing for Cincinnati that they need for the next four or five years, or is this just they got lucky one year. Well, let's see what happens next year when Lamar Jackson comes back, you know? No, yeah, to look at it as a whole, I mean, a lot of winning a division and playing right, it's all about timing because mm-hmm. you look at the Steelers. I mean, this is pretty much looking like the end of the Big Ben era in Pittsburgh as everyone was talk- seeing how emotional it was on Monday Night Football for him playing in front of the Steeler faithful one last time and then – you look at Cleveland, I mean, they've been running this back now for at least a few years. It's hard to believe that Baker Mayfield's actually been around for at least four years now. Yeah, I can believe <laughs> And then for the Ravens, I mean, 
Baltimore is always tricky, but again, if they had a healthy team and if they had just, you know, small plays, winning the games, trying to convert two-point conversions when you couldn't trust your defense, the Ravens would have been in this whole playoff conversation, but yeah, it's because of that. They're looking Mm -hmm. outside and needing at least three losses from other teams just to make it now. But Cincinnati, I mean, this is what happens when you build with the right pieces that you have. Obviously, finding a generational quarterback always helps. And for Cincinnati as a whole, they they just really gained momentum at the right time. And they they played good in a lot of these games. You're looking at some of these games, they're all low scoring, what like well, at least one score games where again you gotta remember that Green Bay game, they only lost because the kickers couldn't make anything during True. that day. Like it, it was really awful. And then they lost to the Bears by three points. And then like, even that Jets game that you mentioned, they only lost by three points. Yeah. So this is a competitive team that should be around for the next few years. And you got to remember when they had Marvin Lewis and Andy Dalton, they were competitive for those five years. But the mm-hmm. big thing that really cost them, they did not win a playoff game. They lost to the Texans, lost to the Chargers. I think one of those losses was also to the Colts. I think it was 2013 or 14. I believe so, yeah. And the last one, it was against the Steelers, that Vontez perfect game where he nailed Antonio Brown on the head. And, again, the Cincinnati Bengals blew it in that game. And that was the last time they won the division and the last time they were in the playoffs. But now they're hoping for change. It kind of reminds me of the uh, the Atlanta Falcons from a couple of years ago when they made it to the Super Bowl and they got on a really hot streak. And then they make it to the Super Bowl. They're up by 25 and then they lose it. I don't, I'm not saying that Cincinnati is going to become like them, but there are teams that, like you said, it's not, it's based off like they built up to this, but I feel like some of it is also the luck of the straw of the schedule where you beat up teams or you play teams that aren't quite up to par where you're supposed to be, but they still win those games. And then all of a sudden you go on a nice little run in the, in the playoffs and then it's time to, it kind of ends. And that's kind of what happened with Atlanta when they they were the kings of the NFC the entire year. And then they go against Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. And then everything we know, we already know the story of what happens after this. We don't need to go into it. But I, I could see Cincinnati making a deep run, depending on who they play against early on in the playoffs. If they play against New England, I think it's going to be tough because it you can't go against New England and not – I don't know. It's just it's so difficult against them in the playoffs with with Bill Belichick and his system. It, you can't count him out in anything. Like just like Nick Saban, you can't count out Nick Saban in anything. Even if Alabama is the underdogs this year, you can't count them out. They're to me, they're always the favorites, no matter where you are. And I don't care what Georgia is, if they're the one seed or whatever. Alabama should never be the the underdogs. Just saying. No, yeah, I could understand that. And but just going back to Cincinnati, the one thing as part of like to pred- where predictions go, I always look at experience being a factor, whether it's experience with the coach, experience with the players, even being in the postseason, because, again, it's the nerves, it's the endurance of what you've built up to this point, and then even endurance plays a bigger factor since there's an extra week of NFL regular season being mm-hmm. put here into play. Now, of course... Joe Burrow is sitting the next game. He's not going to be playing against Cleveland in the final matchup. So that's going to give him some rest and get mentally prepared for 
their upcoming matchup about who they may end up playing because right now it looks like they could face New England, as mentioned, and that, that would take a lot of preparation to, to take down a team that's led by Coach Bill Belichick, who knows how to play against uh, young QBs. I mean, he, Joe Burrow's not a rookie, but even young QBs always struggle against uh, the evil empire of the New England Patriots. The evil empire. <laughs> You beat them twice, man. Your team beat them twice in the Super Bowl. They're not the evil empire. They're nothing to you guys. I mean, when you have a head coach that looks like Emperor Palpatine, I mean, and wears the hoodie and all that, I mean, that's what you got to refer to him as. And then, of course, I mean, I've been watching, I've been watching Book of Boba Fett. So, of course, I'm talking about Star Wars here. (laughs) So, looking at it, if Cincinnati wins, and I'm I'm doing the uh, the playoff machine on ESPN right now, by the way. So if New England wins, Cincinnati wins, and Buffalo wins. We will see New England take on Buffalo in Buffalo, and we would see Cincinnati host uh, Indianapolis in the first round of the playoffs next weekend. Because I, although the funny thing is, though, and if I'm not mistaken, hasn't uh, Jacksonville beaten the the Colts like six or seven straight games from what I've read over this past week? Is that have you seen that? One thing I was listening to and what people were saying is that Jacksonville has not lost to Indy in Jacksonville, I believe since 2014. So traveling on the road down to Duval County has always been a problem for Indianapolis, similar to how like, you know, New England struggles when they travel down to Miami. I mean, it's, you talk about home field advantage and how teams play and Indianapolis over the years, again, it's just, tough playing against certain teams in certain locations, but also you got to remember Indianapolis during that time, they didn't really have Andrew Luck. He was inconsistently healthy or unhealthy at that point. And then you got to remember Jacksonville's lone win last year was the week one game against the Indianapolis Colts. So that's what people have been referring to as I mean, the last time they played in Jacksonville, but Indianapolis knows that this is a, a win and you go on situation. So I don't think Frank Reich would let this game slip by him along with Carson Wentz. I think they're going to be ready to go. And I mean, a lot is riding on this game for obviously Ravens fans, Steeler fans, and even Raiders and Charger fans, depending on uh, how the result ends up swaying in that direction, especially where the difference is, is that you either play the Joe Burrow Bengals with inexperience in the first round, or you end up facing Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, who will be primed and ready to go. Yeah, and if like if the Jacksonville Jaguars win, again, this is all according to the ESPN NFL playoff machine, that if the Jaguars win, as of right now, the Chargers would play against the Bengals, the Raiders would play against the Kansas City Chiefs. If I have the uh and actually, and if I have the Chargers winning right now against the Raiders, then Pittsburgh would squeak in to Kansas City. So another matchup again that we'd already seen. There's a lot there's a lot up in the air in this uh playoff race right now. Yeah, there is a bit of riding with it, of course, with uh the Ravens and Steelers playing each other that will pretty much eliminate the one team that ends up losing and I mean, the Colts and Jaguars game, I mean, if that ends up with a Colts victory, then that pretty much shuts that all down. Of Mm -hmm. course, people were looking at uh, the, 
you know, like tie and loss results. I mean, the funniest one, of course, was that if Jacksonville ends up beating Indianapolis, that and if the Chargers and Raiders both tie, they technically both get in. Both the Chargers and Raiders would be in. Colts would be eliminated. And some people were saying, you know, if the Chargers and Raiders would just kneel the whole time, not do anything, and that would be the tie, even through overtime, that that would be the end result. But I don't see that happening simply because you'd never do that to your rival, especially these two teams. I mean, formerly of uh, the Raiders in California, where they used to be, there's bad blood between these two teams, and they'd rather beat each other than just uh, allow each other to both make the playoffs. Oh, yeah, because then you would give your another rival a better chance to win. And what happens if you lose in the first round and they win in the first round? Then what's that going to say to you, you know? So I completely understand. I want to win. I don't want you entering into this playoff. I want to end your season right now. So, I yeah, this will be really interesting to see what all happens. Again, a lot rides on that Buffalo Jets game, too, because if the Jets win, they the New England is the three seed. And Buffalo is the sixth seed, and they would be meeting each other in the first round as well. Both of these games, by the way, are at 430 on CBS. Uh, I like the fact that they put the Jets at a later game for once, because obviously besides being on the West Coast, it's the only time the Jets are the West uh, on that time zone. So this will be fun. And I feel like with the Jets and Buffalo, the Jets probably play the Buffalo Bills pretty well towards the end of the season and recent history. Now, again, a lot of that was with Todd Bowles. But they, it seems like right now they have a lot of confidence going in to this Buffalo game. And obviously, Wilson has done a lot better. He's been able to control the ball a lot better. I think he's only thrown about two picks in the last three games, which is less than what uh, Lawrence has done and Mac Jones has done as well, while also throwing seven touchdown passes. So they, He's not the cream of the crop, but he's growing. And that, like, as a Jets fan, that's what I want to see. I don't want to see you throwing all these picks, four or five picks in, like, one game or one series. I don't want to see any of that. I want to see ball control, run the ball. And I do think, I will say right now, the la- my biggest worry for the last couple of years has been no offensive line. They they can't run the ball. One of the reasons why I knew Le'Veon Bell was not going to work out as the as a new a member of the Jets was they don't have an offensive line. You're going from an, an actual team with the Steelers who had a good, a decent offensive line. That's why you were able to get 80, 90 yards of rushing. I don't know if you noticed, but most of the rushers on the Jets were averaging about 60, maybe 70 yards a game. That's 10 or 20 yards less than what you get in Pittsburgh. And you want to come here with no offensive line? It's not going to happen. You're not going to get all your 100-yard rushing games. You're going to be better in the passing game, but that was one reason why Sam Darnold never worked out. They didn't work on the offensive line. They worked outside instead of inside on the offensive side. So, I mean, it was good. It was fun to watch. Brandon Marshall was fun to watch. Uh, the guy, Robbie Anderson, but they just could not draft well. Joe Douglas has actually done well. They got uh, Makai back to his left tackle right now. They have some pieces on the right side as well to help Zach Wilson. And he's finally growing. So I feel like the last couple of years, this is this, this is a good direction for the Jets. Now, can they be healthy? That's been the big key because even when they had Darnold, he was never really healthy. He never played a full season unless it was his rookie year. Other than that, he was always injured. He had the flu or he got hurt or whatever it was. They never had their starting quarterback 
all the way through since I believe Ryan Fitzpatrick in 2015, 2016, when they almost made it to the playoffs, almost so upset that year. All they had to do is beat Buffalo in Buffalo. And they threw three straight picks and the last three drives. And that's what ended, ended their season. So frustrating, but I feel that the jets are on the rise. Just saying that. No, I mean, you, you could look at it that way. And of course you mentioned the running back uh, situation. Of course, even Adam Gase, your former head coach, even thought giving him all that money was just a terrible idea, but you, you look, they look strong under Robert Sala. I'm glad they gave him a chance because everyone really wanted him to finally get his head coaching opportunity after mm. being the defensive coach for Seattle and San Francisco, being part of the Super Bowl runs they had there. And so now also, as long as you keep the quarterback healthy and not a lot of under pressure in that sort of situation, develop them right. That's always been key. And I think... It's a, you can only go up from here. I mean, everyone looks at rock bottom, and there is got to be an upside, especially even for the New York Jets. Eventually, there has to be, right? I mean, it can't be this yeah. way forever. Like, eventually, just like the Texans, they were actually pretty well, if you remember, in the beginning of this decade. They were pretty good, and then they kind of slowly went down. They made it to the playoffs a couple years ago. So it's not like these teams are tanking on purpose. They there's just un, undesirable, unfortunate events that happen during the season that are out of their control. And unfortunately, it happens. But at the same time, when you're down, what way is there to go? You go up. <laughs> that, and that's how I've always looked at the Jets. Again, the Jets in the last decade, the first two or three years, they were actually in a playoff race. Once uh, Rex Ryan was about to leave, they were close. They, they made it to the AFC championship game back-to-back years. They lost to the Peyton Manning in Indy. They lost to Ben Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh, but they beat Brady. They beat uh, Manning another time in in uh, Indy, and they also beat Phillip Rivers. So they were on the rise, and then all of a sudden, you know, eight and eight, the butt fumble on Thanksgiving night, you know, things you just don't forget as a Jets fan. And here we are, we're at four and whatever. And, but, but they beat the two best, they at least beat the two best teams this year in the AFC. So I don't care what anyone says. We at least beat those two teams. Like, yes, we, we lost bad to new England. We always lose bad to New England because Bill Belichick is the coach. You would, too, if you play them twice a year and he knows how to ruin your season. You lose to Miami. Well, Miami's actually a pretty defense, good team, and they were in a playoff race for a while. So that I can excuse that. But when you beat Cincinnati at home and you beat Tennessee at home, I'll take those two wins any day of the season. Because yeah, it's very man. rare you're going to beat them anyways. Kansas City couldn't beat them. Yeah, I mean, that Tampa Bay game, I mean, it was so close, too. And it's just, I mean, unfortunate that you didn't take the points in the final stance. But, again, that's what happens when you take on Tom Brady. But, again, that's the future to build on. And even top draft picks, you got to remember, you also have Ooh. Seattle's pick for trading away Jamal Adams. Yeah, and it actually worked out better because, I mean, I love Jamal Adams and I love the way he played. But at the same time, I understand why they got rid of him. And it was a business decision and it actually worked out better for the jets because now they have two top 10 picks. So, or top seven picks, something like that. I think they pick fourth and then they pick six. So it's either back-to-back picks or another round. And 
they still got some uh they got some capital they can get a receiver from what i've heard they want to get the uh, receiver from bama they can get another offensive lineman so right there two got two big pieces who knows if they're going to re-sign Corey davis elijah moore is going to be a good receiver i'm telling you right now elijah moore is going to be there for the long haul and i hope he is because he is a very underrated receiver but when he's healthy and he does things He's going to be good, and I really hope they get, they bring back Denzel Mims and actually give him a chance because he could be a number one receiver for this team. And then, I mean, I saw more with how he's played and how he's fit for the Jets. I mean, there's been some good moments, and I think, again, just depending on how the schedule looks, I mean, you got to try and play well in your division if possible. I mean, that's yeah. always like the, the ground base of where you start. And then, of course – since the Jets finish at the bottom of the standings, you'll end up facing against, uh, I would say, Jacksonville again next year. So that's always a, a win right there when you play against a team like that. And then even depending on Denver uh, and how they show up, because they've been inconsistent as well. And they their future looks bleak depending on where they go at quarterback. Because, again, how many chances can you really give Drew Locke at this point? Yeah, I, I really feel that they're going to be a team that's going to be in the market for a new quarterback. And there, there's a lot of good potential quarterbacks out there. Rogers Carr, who's one of their uh, their rivals quarterbacks right now, Derek Carr. Um, Deshaun Watson's still an option, possibly. Who knows what we – I mean, it's been very quiet since the trade deadline, but is he getting healthy? Is he just kind of out there? I don't really know. But if he's out there and, he, and they finally get rid of him, he would be a viable option, especially when he's healthy. Yeah, I mean, you look at the different options. I mean, Russell Wilson's going to be the most talked about guy because, again, Seattle seems to be moving on possibly from him. And if he wants to leave, Deshaun Watson, again, it all depends on uh, his allegations. His trial, I believe, actually begins next month. And that's a lot of the reasons why uh, Miami hasn't really pulled the trigger yet because, I mean, Miami has been really the main team going after him because apparently they don't may not want to stick with Tua and then, Carolina is a team that might be looking at a quarterback situation where Sam Darnold didn't really work out as well. Uh, don't doesn't look positive where they might keep Cam Newton due to his health and his uh, lack of capability to lead the team. And yeah. I mean, Matt Rule is even on the hot seat right now. He's after I mean, even firing Joe Brady for offensive coordinator. There just hasn't been much improvement, and Carolina uh, can't keep relying on the health of Christian McCaffrey. Great no. talent, but unfortunately just can't stay healthy out there on the field. But, I mean, as far as quarterbacks go, again, depends on which team needs what. I mean, a lot of it's going to depend on how far the Packers go, really, with Rodgers because, I mean, Rodgers is almost making it seem like this is most likely his last season with Green Bay. And then as far as what happens after that, it all depends on if he really wins the Super Bowl because True. there's that a lot of speculation there. And then, and then even the conversation with him, uh, the one sports writer who says that he shouldn't win MVP because he's a <laughs> jerk. And the guy was from Chicago, so of course he's going to call him a jerk. But again, Wasn't that also the same place be- that Rogers said, I, I still own you? <laughs> yeah, he said, I still own I you. Still and own honestly, you. he's very- He's not wrong. He rightfully has. 
No, he's not wrong simply because he's only lost, I think, to Chicago four times, I think. So it's going to be an interesting offseason. But, yeah, we still have a lot to go with the playoffs to come up. Yeah, and, I mean, obviously, it's he's still better because, obviously, in that 2010 NFC Championship game, the Bears thought they were going to go to the Super Bowl, and they didn't because Rodgers is just that much better of a quarterback than Jay Cutler at that time. <laughs> I still laugh at that. I still own you. I still no, yeah, own was... you. <laughs> no, yeah, it's one of the most viral things that went out on during this season and definitely adds uh, more to the rivalry. And I'm sure Bears fans uh, will get back at it if they ever uh, get back to those days like in the 80s when they used to dominate the Packers. Yeah, I mean, since Favre was there, though, they they haven't really been able to dominate any Packers They've been packing them and shipping them back to Chicago. You know, got to send those little bears back home. (laughs) Yeah, just a brief bit of hope when they had Brian Urlacher and Lovey Smith where they at least won those matchups. But since then, it's just been mostly Packers. Yep. Yep. So I feel like we've been dodging this. I don't know if you have or not on purpose. The whole Antonio Brown thing. Everyone's talking about it. I feel like unless you don't really want to. No, we, we can talk about it as this is just another thing just going on. You could lead us into this, Eric. <laughs> I feel like we should have a circus music going into this right now. Maybe I'll put that on here when I edit this later. <laughs> yeah, something just to describe this whole situation. So, unfortunately, and I was actually watching this game uh, because I am a Jets fan and I'm okay by saying that. And I think I looked away because I was also watching. I had on my computer, I had the um, the Jets and ben- or Bucks game, and then on my TV, I had the Chiefs and Bengals or yeah, Chiefs and Bengals game. It's so more watching that because that was just a very intriguing matchup to watch. But it got my attention. I was looking down, and then I see someone leaving, and I'm like, "Who the heck is leaving? Why? Why are they taking their jersey off in the middle of the game?" All I saw was Mike Evans tried to talk or cool down Antonio Brown, which is what I've heard. I don't really know the full story or the full school. Neither, neither one of us really knows. And I'm pretty sure we know as much as everyone else, but we've also read a lot more recently. And it seems that now, as of last night, this is what it was, was that they didn't want Antonio Brown to come back. And then last night, there uh, there's some tweets and a message by Antonio Brown that we finally heard from him that I screenshotted last night because I was very uh, intrigued by all this. And first of all, I'd like to express my gratitude from the Bucks. This is Antonio Brown and my teammates. The Bucks helped me return to productive football after I had difficulties and could have ended my career. <clears throat> we worked together to resolve these difficulties, and I will always appreciate that. Being part of super, being part of a Super Bowl champion team and a contender is a dream come true. Not that he wasn't in Pittsburgh, but okay, we'll let it slide. I make mistakes. I'm working on myself, and I have positive influences around me. But one thing I don't do is shy away from playing hard on the field. No one can excuse me of that, of giving, of not giving it my all every day, every play. Because of my commitment to the game, I relented to pressure directly from my coach to play injured. Despite the pain, I suited up. The staff injected me with what I know I know now 
was a powerful and sometimes dangerous painkiller that the NFLPA, the Players Association, has warned against using, and I gave it my all for the team. I played until it was clear that I could not use my ankle to safely perform from playing my responsibilities. On top of that, the pain was extreme. I took a seat on the sideline, and my coach came up to me very upset and shouted, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? I told him it's my ankle, but he knew that it was well documented and it was discussed and we had discussed it prior. He then ordered me to get back on the field. I said, coach, I can't. He didn't call for the medical attention. Instead, he shouted at me, you're done. While he ran his finger across his throat, coach was telling me that if I didn't play hurt, then I was done with the bucks. I didn't quit. I was cut. I didn't walk away from my brothers. I was thrown out. Being fired on the sideline for having a painful injury was bad enough. Then came their spin, in quotations, coach denied on national television that he knew about my ankle. That's 100% inaccurate. Not only did he know I missed several games with the injury, he and I exchanged texts days before the game where I clearly acknowledged my injury. He obviously knew I was on the injury list. And the GM acknowledged after the game in text messages to my camp that I did tell coach about my ankle pain on Sunday. And he continues. I don't know if I really want to read all of this, but we're starting to get the hint and we're starting to hear Antonio Brown's side because all we really heard up to last night was Bruce Arians saying he is no longer a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. He's done. We're, let's talk about the guys that actually competed and helped us win in that comeback game against the Jets. Um, Trying to see where else he says they cut me. Now they cage me instead of asking how I felt or getting to the bottom of it. The team texted my camp promoting a totally false narrative that I randomly acted out without any explanation. They even told us in writing, don't spin this any other way. I have stress. I have things I need to work on. But the worst part of this has been the Bucks' repeated effort to portray this as a random outburst. They're telling people that I first walked, the first I walked off, then I was cut. No, 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 no. I was cut first, then I went home. They threw me out like an animal, and I refused to wear their brand on my body, so I took my jersey off. And there's a lot more to go into this. I'm not going to go into all that. But Noah, your first thoughts when you uh, when you heard this. Well, to just follow through, I mean, initially, again, Antonio Brown just adding another chapter to a long and unbelievable career. I mean, you got to remember, this guy was considered one of the greatest wide receivers of this era and possibly even all time just because of his ability on the football field to catch, create separation, and just get downfield. He was part of the success of the Steelers. But, again, looking at... I mean, there's a whole situation going on here with what happened with the Buccaneers. I mean, he also recently revealed text messages between him and Arians on his Instagram. And then even with uh, Guerrero, the trainer that Tom Brady has as as part of the article, it was also won by uh, ES, was no, a Bleacher Report, where mm-hmm. they mentioned that in the text messages and even in a hashtag, he called, I believe, Bruce Arians barbarian, yep. as he was referring to. To just look at this, I mean, claiming, obviously, broken ankle fragments in his ankle. And, I mean, it's a, it's tough right here. But, 
again, looking at Antonio Brown, he's obviously got a lot against him because the whole fake vaccine card, which again happened this year, he recently returned from his suspension. You already have that working against you where you are considered deceitful and unprofessional in how you handle certain things. Everyone looks at him as egotistical and everything, but the, the especially the way he was handling it off the field where he literally ripped off his jersey, ripped off the undershirt, threw his gloves into the crowd, doing jumping jacks across the, the end zone, and then he apparently even asked state troopers to give him a ride to the airport, and then you see him sitting courtside at a Brooklyn Nets game like the very next day or two days later, and this is just... Another thing to add with Antonio Brown. So obviously he's got that working against him. But also I it's tough to say again with Bruce Arians. I mean, the fact that he would try and force him into this situation where he would try and put him at risk mm-hmm. and what he would want there that to, to put it against them. And I mean, it wasn't official until Thursday afternoon when they said that, uh, yeah, officially, he has been cut. They finally released it because there was some speculation about what the Bucks were planning to do. Mm-hmm. But as a whole, I mean, even when he released the text messages on social media, this is just reminding me of the whole thing with how it ended with the Raiders, where, again, he, he leaked the conversation with John Gruden about the whole thing with his punishment and saying he's got to get everything together. And mm-hmm. so it's just another end to a rough rough chapter for what holds for the future of antonio brown but of course a lot of people are just hoping he gets mental help because right now it's just really been tough for him and like what he's been going through but again it's a lot of it's been on him because of just what's been going on so i was reading earlier uh from the athletic from Lindsay jones uh she had this article up on the second of this year and made a an interesting point that throughout all of like the things that you had already mentioned and some of the things that happened with the Patriots and the Pittsburgh Steelers, he's never really, he's always played the victim. He's never actually taking a stand or actually said, yeah, that was my fault. I shouldn't have done that. And it really makes you think, what is the person actually going through? You know, like what, I guess in my first initial thought, when I thought about it, I laughed like everyone else did, you know, like, who is this crazy clown? Oh, look, it's Antonio Brown. What a shocker. No big deal. But then, like, as it, like, the memes are coming, and like, and I'm like, man, this is, he's got a family, you know? He's got kids. He's got his mom. His, I don't know if his dad is still around or not. I, I don't know much about it, this man. Um, but this guy has a family, and they're going to look at all this. And as a family member, wouldn't you kind of be like, hey, are you okay? Like, do you want to talk? There's something clearly wrong with this guy, with the way he acts out. It's kind of childish. Like, I work with kids right now. I work at the Boys and Girls Club um, in the area that I live in. And I recognize when kids are acting out, like, it, it's always – I had this one girl. Uh, again, I'm not going to mention any names. It's not worth it. But she – the holiday seasons were coming up. You know, it's, it's always difficult for people in holiday seasons. No matter where you are, something could trigger something, whatever. And – she was really not acting the right way. So at first I, I did the, the usual, like, Hey, overreaction, kind of like dad, like thing. And then I called myself like, Eric, you probably shouldn't do it. Just pull over and talk to her. So I did. And she finally explained like, yeah, the holidays are really difficult. I don't really know 
don't really want to go home. And it's just, it's very difficult. So I wonder if someone has actually ever taken the time to actually sit and talk with this guy. Tom Brady obviously tried to do that because he invited him to his home. He invited him to his life, try to get him the best treatment, try to be there for him, try to be that guy for him. And it ended up turning out not to be the best thing, but that doesn't mean we still don't like this guy. We like that. We like the guy. We just don't like the behavior that he's doing, you know? So it's very difficult when you see a very good person that is acting out and it's so difficult to watch that, but they need to get help. And even with, like you said, you had mentioned earlier on in the show that there was a lot of receivers and a lot of players that are going for the incentives right now. He was this close from like three or four different incentives and he just walked away. So clearly it wasn't about the money. Clearly it's about him needing help. And I just, I just hope that we as a society try to remember that, yes, he's still a person. Yes, he has a history. We all have histories. I'm not perfect. Noah's not perfect. None of us are perfect in this world. There is no one that's perfect in this world. But we got to at least try to help them out or at least lead them in the right direction. But that also comes to them. They have to be the one to actually want to get the help and want the help. If they don't, then you can't really do anything about that. That's they got to they got to fall on rock bottom and maybe that's where Antonio Brown is heading to, which I hope for no one even on my worst enemies, I would never want the rock, them to hit rock bottom, but that unfortunately that's where it seems to be going. And it just, it sucks as, a, as seeing that someone that has ha- had their own mental stuff going on and still working on my own things. And now seeing it in a bigger person who makes millions of money, who's an influencer, who kids look up to, who coaches have, and players have respected for a while. But then that once you mess up, like you mess up for good, you're done. Like, that's not how we should be treating this. We should be treating, like, what can we do to help you? And then see the comeback story, you know? That's what the comeback story should be all about. But it, I I was, I laughed at first, and then I realized this guy's a person who has serious, serious issues, and he really needs to get a lot of help. And it really sucks to say, because I think he's a fantastic player. Un, I think he was well, undrafted. Pittsburgh took a chance on him. And he just kind of lit the whole AFC up for the longest time. And now finally, I wonder if part of it is with the CTE that's, that has been released, maybe he has some head trauma. I don't know. You know, he's been playing football for a long time. Yeah, a lot of people, I mean, to see some athletes and just where they've gone with CTE, concussions, the fact that the NFL covered it up, that was a real big issue. And then, just as a whole, I mean, again, they've, they've tried to help Antonio Brown. I mean, Mike Tomlin had put up with this for about eight to nine years. I yeah. mean, to have to keep his ego under control and put his best team out there. Mike Tomlin has never had a losing season. He's always been able to work things out in the end. And then the, the whole situation with the Raiders, there was speculation if he really wanted to even be there because he wanted to play with Tom Brady, but the only reason that was was because Pittsburgh's not going to literally hand Brown right to the Patriots. Yeah, And then, of, yeah. of course, he had his own off-the-field issues, allegations against him. They were getting worse, and then that's why the Patriots said no more because Belichick didn't want to deal with everything that was going on. And then, of course, Brown comes to the team last year, a lot of it was due to Brady talking to Arians about, like, you know, we need him to help this team. And, of this course, this is going to be another weapon for us to use. 
Yeah. And then Arians, of course, ha- ha- was bringing in this whole no tolerance uh, policy where, again, it's like if you mess up again or if something happens, you're gone. But yep. then you look at the whole vaccine card issue. He got suspended being brought back. And then again, it's just where where does it lie with the truth of Antonio Brown? Because you because the week prior before everything that just happened in uh, MetLife Stadium, he was saying that. This is about football. It's not about drama. But yet here we are. It's just that multiple coaches, multiple players, they've been trying to help Antonio Brown. But clearly, this just isn't about football anymore. It just really isn't. And I think that Antonio Brown really should take a step back from football. And I don't think he may ever play again because I don't think any team in the NFL would put up with this. Not even Urban Meyer would have been putting up with this. Well, I mean, Urban Meyer has his own issues, so it's a little different. Yeah, but I, I just throw that in there because I don't think because even because even terrible organizations like what Meyer was doing in Jacksonville would not put up with this nonsense. See, the interesting thing is, and I was looking at like, uh, obviously, I already said on the show today that I was um, I'm a fantasy football player, and I'm looking at it. Week seven, he was out. Obviously, the last three weeks, he was he was suspended because of the fake vaccine card. So I understand that part. But he was out from week seven. They had their buy in week nine, week 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15. He was out. So from week 12 to about 15, he was suspended. So those are your suspension. But before that, how how much of this injury is true? You know, because he was out for a while. And I don't know if there was something like that they, that it, I mean, ankle injuries, you never really can tell. Like if it's a high ankle injury or a low ankle injury. They're, they're going to come back, especially if you put a lot of um, – I can't find words all of a sudden. But if you put a lot of pressure on them, they'll come back eventually. They'll still hurt. And, again, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to defend this guy. I'm just trying to say if they really did know about the ankle injury, which I, I feel like there's something that's hidden because Bruce Arians didn't really answer the questions this week about, about him. Like, yeah, he's cut. That's it. No more. Let's talk about something else. He never really answered the questions about what well, was the ankle injury legit was uh, did you know about the ankle injury? He never said anything. So I wonder part of this has to be a little bit on. Obviously a lot of it is on Antonio Brown, but some of it, you, you gotta just, you wonder what is Bruce Arians not saying? What are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers not saying right now? That to me, that's the biggest question. Like there's something else going on here. There, there just has to be, you know, or maybe I'm just reading into that part. Yeah, as a whole, I mean, I mean, as a whole for Bruce Arians, I mean, I'm sure that a lot of this is just, again, when it happened and what their focus wants to be. And you're, the, the postseason starts in two weeks, less mm-hmm. than two weeks at this point. And then you don't want, you, I mean, the, the, you see media attention happening with certain athletes and, on, you see it happen when you sign like Tim Tebow, like that brought a lot to wherever he went, whether he was on your jets at one point, And then even when he was brought back with the Jaguars, even ha- he hadn't played like football in six years, it still brought a lot of media attention. And then the fact that Antonio Brown was on this team was really just drawing this attention once more. And Bruce Arians seems to be the kind of coach that really wants to be 
all in, focused on what is the best for this team, especially because, again, you only have a limited amount of chances, and who knows what Brady really wants to do. I mean, Brady claims he can play like another five years, but again, the guy's he's turning 45 next year, and the human body is only capable of doing so much, even of the greatest of athletes. And so, but how many Tampa times has Bay he been hit with the division? You know, that's the that's the question. That's, that's the thing. Offensive that's, line, yeah, is good. And that, and I feel like that's the other reason why he's going to Tampa Bay. Like, all right, I know this New England line is not going to be able to help me, and that's why I kind of feel like that's one reason why he left New England was he knew the offensive line just isn't what it used to be. But this offensive line, you guys are up on the rise. Jameis Winston was the reason why they kept losing games because of two or three interceptions thrown per game. If you eliminated that, they would have made it to the playoffs almost every year. But when you have a guy that throws, what, 20 or almost 30 interceptions a year, that's not going to help you. If you eliminate that, put those numbers on the offensive side and actually get somewhere, then you got something. But And I think with Tom Brady – He's not getting hurt. He's only been hurt once in his career, and that was 2008. That was after he lost to the Super Bowl in the first play of the game against Kansas City. He, This guy does not get hurt. I don't know. This guy's a different animal and a different beast. Oh, yeah, and the postseason coming up, I mean, you'll, he'll be taken on either at this point. He might be playing against the Eagles for all we know next week. I mean, it depends on what happens with the Niners. If they lose and then the Saints could sneak in depending on how the tiebreakers work out. And then you would be looking at possibly facing off against Matt Stafford again in the postseason if he makes it that far. And then can you imagine a rematch with Aaron Rodgers back at Lambeau Field? And if he beats him again, that really sets the legacy of what Tom Brady hopes to set up. And again, obviously, at this point, the seating is really uh, where, where they sit at where they end up as a two seed, three seed. I mean, this time he won't have to go on the road for all the games, but I'm sure that Tom Tom Brady, I mean, has got another uh, piece of history to try and prove that he could still play. He has, I mean, obviously he won the Super Bowl last year, but again, it's a whole new year and a bit of healthier teams as well. Yeah, I honestly feel like it'll be really interesting, but I think if we do see another NFC championship game again with Brady and and Rodgers. Rodgers needs that game more than Brady does. Brady's Brady's legacy is already done, but to me, that's like the David versus Goliath matchup that I, I'm i really hoping that's what we see again for the NFC Championship game. I, again, I would love to see a Matthew Stafford versus Aaron Rodgers in the NFC Championship game. I don't think we're going to get that. I think we'll see that in the divisional round, but man, just think about it. Second year in a row, Rodgers finally gets over beating Brady and goes to the Super Bowl. Would and I think they would have a better chance of winning it this year than they did last year for the Packers. And I think they learned time management is a lot better against Tom Brady than keeping than giving Brady so much more time because Brady, they took chances in that game. And that NFC championship game, everyone thought, oh, they're just going to run the ball. We're going to go to halftime tied. Brady's like, uh-uh, I'm going, we're going deep. We're going long. And then they ended up throwing the touchdown pass to Scotty Miller. And I'm like, oh, he's in for blood today. He is in for blood. And then towards the end of the game, when they finally got the uh, the first flag against the, the Green Bay Packers and it went against the Packers, oh, man, I know for a fact Aaron Rodgers has got to be seething after that. 
Because if he if he finally gets that game, he finally goes to the rule, and even if he wins or loses, his legacy is still set. But if you beat Brady in an NFC championship game for this first time and probably the only time that you ever beat Brady again, you got to do it this year. That that would just elevate Aaron Rodgers so much more. And then he'd be super jerk, by the way, for that Chicago Bears uh, guy. <laughs> yeah, to look at Rodgers' career, I mean, you could point out the fact that he's won multiple MVPs. The fact that he's the main guy at State Farm and hosted Jeopardy and all that stuff. But then you look at what he's actually done to get to the Super Bowl. I mean, I, I brought this up to people where, again, where they talk about Aaron Rodgers and how great he is. It's like, yes, he's done so great. He's won games consistently, the NFC North. But the fact is, he has only been the one Super Bowl. And that once you look at the conference championship games he's played against, he didn't beat Russell Wilson in Seattle. That was a big one. I mean, that wasn't really his fault because, again, they couldn't recover an onside kick. Nope. And then you look against the game with Atlanta. You had Matt Ryan, but they got demolished in that game. But then you take on Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers in 2019. They lose that game. And then, of course, last year, you lose to Tom Brady. There's only one time that Brady's that Rodgers has been to a Super Bowl, and that was when they beat the Bears. But, you know, the, the QB in that game was Caleb Haney. Do you really see oh, Caleb yeah. Haney anywhere else in the history books? You got to remember a big reason why they won that game was because B.J. Raji ended up with the pick six and yep. ended up going into the end zone. I mean, I, I still believe Rodgers is a great QB, definite Hall of Famer, and most likely uh, in the conversation for top ten. This would this If he wins the Super Bowl, this would elevate him to the top ten. Mm-hmm. And, again, comparing him to guys like Elway and then comparing him to Favre, of course, saying that people would say he's a better Packers QB. And it's just that Rodgers has not been able – to win for the Green Bay Packers in a long time, at least to get to the Super Bowl. And you, you mentioned how this would have an impact on his legacy. To lose back-to-back NFC Championship games to Tom Brady, that would certainly pretty much uh, relegate Rodgers to at least staying as a top 20 QB all time because you you got to win the big games that matter. And if you lose back-to-back, it it just doesn't bode well, even if you just have the one Super Bowl ring. I'd also also point out that even if he does, if he loses to Brady again, that would factor into not wanting to come back to Green Bay in the offseason. Because think about it. You lose to Brady not once, twice in the NFC Championship game in Lambeau Field. Do you really want to come back to that again and have a potential third time? Or maybe you would actually go for him and like you know what maybe i do want to do it maybe i feel this is my year that i can do it depending on what the packers did on the draft in the offseason anyways but that's besides the point but yeah i i still think we're on the road for a rogers brady and i can't wait honestly i've always wanted to see in the super bowl but i'll take the nfc championship game and also rogers lost to the your giants in 2011 2012 season to get so the Giants got to the Super Bowl that year as well. So they were what 15 and one or something that year. And then they lose in a divisional round while hosting the Giants. I remember that they got demolished in that game because Brandon Jacobs had a huge game and for the running back, also had that like 20-something yard touchdown run to really put the game away for the Giants. But he Aaron Rodgers has had a lot of key losses 
not as bad as Drew Brees, Brees, but and that's that's a whole another conversation for another day. But Aaron Rodgers definitely had a lot of bad losses in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean it's the conversation that you have with what you rank a quarterback as, as far as well, did they win in the clutch moments? I mean, look, you look at Eli Manning; he didn't win the division a lot. He only won, I think, like twice Something to win like the that. NFC East. But yet, people find out eh, what happens. But then you look at uh, the just as a whole: you win the Super Bowl against Tom Brady. That's twice. really what you can do. Not a lot of people. Yeah, twice. He's the only QB to ever do that. I mean, and the fact that he won those games is what sets up his legacy. And then for guys like Aaron Rodgers, the fact that you win consistently against the NFC North of the Vikings, the Bears, and the Lions, but yet here you are not being able to beat the rest of the NFC where you see Eli Manning make the make the Super Bowl. You see the 49ers. They've made it twice. And then, of course, the Seahawks. They had their dominant runs in Super Bowl 48 and 49. And then you see Cam Newton with that 2015 Panthers. Those were met. That, that was a magical year for them. And then you see just Atlanta. And then you see also um, Philadelphia with their run with Nick Foles. And then, of course, we have to mention the Rams with how they ended up making it on the terrible no pass interference called, which is still a bother to the Saints to this day. But overall, again, it's what Rodgers will have to deal with if he does not win the Super Bowl this year or even get to the Super Bowl because that's part of what a legacy is for each QB. And, I mean, it's also for, I mean, regards of greatest of all time. I mean, he'll still make the Hall of Fame, but – as, as, as a whole, I mean, th- this, I, I mean, everyone, I mean, you look at QBs that talk about haunting moments. Brady still is upset about the fact that he did not win that perfect season. He, he's, <laughs> that's the only thing that he wishes that he, that could have been different. He, that's the one thing he really wishes could have happened for him. Thank God it didn't happen. I was, I was living in new England when it happened. And all I remember was I was with my foster dad in our basement. We had two TVs, the Patriots side over there. And we were at the main side over here and all my foster dad and I kept saying 18 and one, 18 and one <laughs> during the entire game. We loved it. That was, that's still one of my favorite Super rules to this day. Uh, so speaking of predictions though, are you, I have our predictions here. Are you still sticking with them or should I uh, take the pen and change anything of your, uh, our playoff predictions? Well, as far as the AFC goes, I'm sticking with it because, again, looking at how the Chargers are set up for this weekend, taking on the Raiders on Sunday Night Football, I'm going to stick with uh, my decision on that. I mean, it was a while ago, the last time they played, week four, and also in L.A., Gruden was still the coach, and I think the Chargers have developed a bit since then, and I don't think they're going to let this slip. As far as the NFC goes, um, I think I had the Niners still. They, I had the, did I have the Niners making the playoffs as part of my NFC prediction? Uh, I do not see that. Although maybe I didn't write okay. that down. Let me write that down because I don't actually have. Yeah, maybe we didn't cover that last week. I only had the AFC ones inside. Huh. All right. You have the Niners. Well, I mean, I, I was thinking Niners initially, but now looking back on it now, I really think the Saints are going to get in because due to the fact that 
the Niners, again, they would have to upset the Rams, who are playing for the division right now. So I think the Niners are going to miss out on the playoffs, and the Saints will sneak in as by the looks of it as the seventh seed, thanks to the fact that they got to play the Falcons on the last day of the year. All right, so New Orleans, obviously Philadelphia's in. So who's your other team? Um, well, yeah, for wild card, I mean, I would say it's it's Arizona again. Okay. I mean, they they did well against Dallas, but they 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 at this point would need help from the Niners just to even get the division. So I'm keeping the Cardinals as a wild card. All right. So think I'm trying to look at the uh, NFC teams right now. Obviously, Arizona's obviously in, so you can't really do anything about that. They already clinched the spot, whether they get the pl- the wild card or the the division. I still think LA is going to win the division, um, and it, Cam Akers is going to be playing in that game, so that's going to be another weapon for uh, Matthew Stafford to use. So I think Arizona is going to be the wild card team. I think, ah, man, see, and it's really tough because the Niners play against the Rams. The Niners need it, but I mean, not really, because if you look at this again, I'm still on the ESPN playoff machine. I've been playing this all week, by the way, if the saints win and the Niners lose, that's it. But if the Niners win and the saints still win, the Niners will get in as a 60. And then it'll be playing against the LA Rams again the next week. I, I feel well. And then the other thing is, uh, isn't is Trey is Jimmy Garoppolo now playing this weekend, right? I'm pretty sure that's yeah, pretty, the case. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, I'd imagine they would have Trey Lance uh, suited up and ready to go. He got the entire time against the Texans, and I mean that was kind of difficult. I mean, I flipped that game ever so often uh, while while I was watching the Cowboys and Cardinals, and I mean it was a. Uh, I don't. There weren't a lot of points in the first half, and so for the 49ers, I mean. Kyle Shanahan's a smart coach. It's going to be a tough game for him. But, again, with a lot of things going against you, and uh, I think this game's also in Los Angeles, so the yeah. Rams will have uh, yeah. home field for this matchup, and they look forward to try and lock down the two seed because that's what they can do. They can end up facing against possibly Philadelphia or New Orleans next week. Yeah, you know what? I think I will take the New Orleans Saints, just like you, only because Jimmy G's not going to be playing. I don't think... Trey Lance is ready. I just don't think he's ready for it yet. And obviously we have Philly, so they're already in no matter what. They can either get the six or the seventh seed and play against either the Rams or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But yeah, I, I honestly feel like the Rams are going to win against the 49ers. The Saints should win against the Falcons. Now, if the Falcons win, then the 49ers will get in as well. And then they'll be playing again the same week just like the Arizona Cardinals and the uh, Dallas Cowboys of last week that we have another rematch again. So yeah, I'm, I'm going with Arizona, uh, New Orleans and Philly, but like the Falcons has just been so inconsistent this season. They have a really good tight end, but that's, that's about it. You know, I don't, I don't really see anything else. I feel like they need to be in a rebuild soon with uh, figuring out about Matt Ryan, if they want to keep him and, for how much longer they want to keep him for, because even his numbers aren't as good as they used to be like five, like four or five years ago when they made it to the Super Bowl. So I have Arizona, New Orleans, obviously Philly's already in, but for your AFC, you're still sticking with new England, Indy and the chargers. 
Yeah, for my AFC prediction, I'm sticking with uh, New England still ended up with the wild card because due to the fact that they would need to win, but also they would rely on the Bills, the fact that they would have to lose the game, knowing that the Bills, again, they, all they have to do is just simply beat the Jets. But, again, stranger things have happened, but I'm sticking with uh, New England staying at the five seed and then the Colts getting in as a six and then the Chargers winning on Sunday night football to get that final spot. And how great would that be if the Jets played spoiler and won against Buffalo? Not only that, I, I would say this right now. One, two, three teams they would have beaten in the playoffs on the AFC side. Just saying, if they win against Buffalo. I'm sticking with my teams. I still think Buffalo is going to be the wildcard team. Again, Miami is always a difficult spot for New England, as you had already mentioned earlier on. I just feel like, New England's ready to do something. And I, I'm gonna stick with I'm gonna go with New England winning the East. I'm gonna go with Buffalo being that wildcard team. I'm gonna go with Indy winning. I think they finally break that streak in Jacksonville. And then obviously the Chargers uh winning as well. So I think those are the teams that I'll be sticking with for my uh playoff matchup. And I think Tennessee's gonna win, obviously. Like they're they play against Houston this weekend. Oh yeah, that should be a win. But they'll get the they'll get the number one seed. That's not even a, a question. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean it's, it'll be the first time since two thousand eight that the Titans would lock up the number one seed because that that, that year they had Kerry Collins at QB and it's getting better. It's getting better for um, Tennessee as there's they've started to activate Derrick Henry and with the extra rest he'll be. Uh, primed and ready to go to take on whoever they may face in the divisional round. And again, all they just need to do is beat the the Texans. But again, you got to remember last year, even the Texans were a tough team to beat when Mm -hmm. all that, all that Tennessee, all they needed to do would do was win, but it came down to a last second field goal for the Titans to win the AFC South. Yeah. I, it's just really interesting to see. Was it Kerry Collins? That was the quarterback. I thought it was Vince Young at that point. For them, uh, for, two, for for two thousand eight, um, Collins had to step up. I think Young was injured. Young, I think, played one game, but Collins carried him the rest of the way, and he ended up going uh, twelve and three with Young's absence. But then since then, it was sort of because it was the one year that I remember. I was like, wow, where did the Titans come from? But yet they just played so good that year. And then it was also, of course, the same year where again Tom Brady was out due to injury. And that was it. That was the year that the Steelers ended up making all the way to the Super Bowl and winning in John Madden's final year. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was all part of the AFC. Yep. And so, obviously, another big thing in uh, the NFL was uh, Big Ben possibly being done with with uh, Pittsburgh. He had his final game this past weekend um, in on Monday night, and I was looking at some of the stats for Pittsburgh. Do you know they have the third longest uh, uh, consecutive streak of winning without a losing record of all time? It goes back to 65 to 85 Cowboys. That was 20 years. Then it was the New England Patriots from 01 to 2019. They had 19 seasons. And now it's the Steelers who are third on that list with the most consecutive seasons without a losing record. That's pretty crazy that Tomlin Tomlin was there for a little bit of it because obviously that was uh, Bill Cowher on his couple final seasons within. But Big Ben, since he's been here, has never really had a losing season. 
Um, he was the 2004 Rookie of the Year, six-time Pro Bowl. His career uh, against the Ravens, uh, obviously this is his final weekend against them. He is uh, he threw he's thrown for 6,399 yards, 42 touchdowns, and 24 picks. And I'm sure at least 12 of those picks were against to Ed Reed because he played them quite a bit when he was playing against the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, it just seems like he knew he was always ready for those big moments. Uh, big Ben was. No, yeah, the look as a whole for Ben Roethlisberger with his last game potentially in Pittsburgh and for his career. I mean, he'll get another chance to play the Ravens one more time. And, I mean, you can see it in his eyes. I mean, the fact that, I mean, it was an emotional game. And as a whole, the Steelers organization, I mean, they, they're they a proud franchise. They mm-hmm. have really taken everything with what they've been able to do as an organization and keep it as a standard. I mean, they've only had three coaches since 1969, Chuck Noll, Bill Cower, and Mike Tomlin. A lot of that has been with dedicated programs and just smart drafting as a whole. And the 2004 draft class, of course, with the QBs of Manning, Rivers, and Roethlisberger regarded as a solid QB class, hard to come by because you see guys end up gone after seven years or even shorter than that and for big ben he he's a tough player and he didn't make too many mistakes at times when it mattered most in some of these big games especially the rivalry games you meant that's what made the ravens and steelers rivalry one of the greatest of this era of football because no matter who is out there on the field it's always competitive and this the, the pittsburgh steelers franchise with even not making the playoffs by the looks of it this year, they still have their bright moments. I mean, even losing, even tying to the Detroit Lions this year, even as embarrassing <laughs> as that was, it still happened, and they will take whatever they can. But, of course, they just want to beat Baltimore one more time with Big Ben leading the way. And even if down in Baltimore, just get, give everything he's got. And I'm sure – Pittsburgh would be grateful for that. And how fitting is it that you're playing, you're ending your career against your bit, your biggest rival. That's like Derek Jeter retiring and his final series was, was against the Boston Red Sox in Fenway park. Uh, obviously I like, I think Baltimore fans can agree. They hated Ben Roethlisberger, but they can respect him enough that he was such a good competitor for all those seasons. Just like when Ed Reed, and Ray Lewis were leaving Pitts, uh, the Pittsburgh and Baltimore Ravens rivalry. I think that you can honestly say, like, we hated you because you were so darn good. But, man, we respect the crap out of you because you're so damn good. And I, I really feel that it's very ironic that they're they're ending on on that season on the Ra- at the Ravens. And it's just going to be incredible to see. I do have a question for you because I looked this up already. I know, of course, you before when we've uh, done broadcast games. Do you know Big Ben's uh, win? He, so he's lost several games, obviously. Um, he's 164 and 81. But there are four teams that he has losing records to. Can you name those teams? You, so you said four teams. <laughs> four teams, yep. Well, has- I would say, well, I think one's clear and obvious. I think one's the Patriots because, yep. again, kind of uh, a tough decision there. As far as the other three, that would be tough. I would have, 
I mean, if I had to just t- take a guess, I would, I would say the Chargers as yep. one of them because, yeah, that's that's uh, the, he's always had a tough time playing against Philip Rivers, and then the other two, man, uh, that that's. The, I'll give you this: hit. they're in the NFC, so you okay, got so the AFC an, ones. Yep. So they're both in the NFC. Okay, so <laughs> I would say NFC. I would I would just. Uh, I'm just going to say bears. I'm probably wrong, but yeah, bears. And then I would say the other one, I would say the saints because I think new Orleans is a tough team. Are those your final answers? Yeah, I'll just take them. Cause you're dead. Right. You got both of them. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> wow. Yep. In his career against these four teams, he is 10 and 17. He is four and seven against the Patriots. I'm not sure if this includes the playoffs or not. It could, it might not. I didn't actually look that part up. He's three and four against the Chargers. He's two and three against Chicago, and he's one and three against New Orleans. Wow. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, was, I was thinking the Saints because again, Drew Brees, and then I I remember hearing something that again for some reason like the Bears always have, play good against. Pittsburgh, and a lot of that, of course, is the strong defense. But mm-hmm. yeah, th- those have been the t- few teams that I would say, th- again, with that Big Ben had struggles against. But again, so, it's like some some QBs just struggle against other teams for some reason. But that's just sort of like the you know like transitive property or even like pecking order of like who beats who. Yeah, and I think obviously every team it, it struggles against New England. Like that's that's a given. I feel like when you were playing against Tom Brady. You're going to struggle. Now, he had a few good moments against them, but it was very far too few. And clearly, I was looking at one of them last night, which was the, uh, oh, it was the Jesse James catch on YouTube. And I was, they had like the 15-minute clip of like the final two minutes of the game where the Patriots went up. They were up by three. The Steelers were driving. And then they cost because Jesse James didn't control the ball. And then in the Super Bowl, reversed the call for Zach Ertz when he controlled the ball. Yes, I'm doing quotation marks. When you look at our Zoom video on our podcast page on Facebook, you'll see that. And I say that very sarcastically. But, yeah, watching that play, knee down, not touched, going down with the ball, crossing the goal line, no touchdown. And if I'm a Steelers fan, I'm not, thankfully. But if I was, that would still frustrate me to this day. Yeah, I mean, thank. I mean, thankfully, we've gotten better at the whole "what is a catch" call. I mean, there there's still some bang bang plays where it's again, it it's not about whether he caught the ball; it's just football move because it's like, well, did he turn his head? Did he <laughs> turn this way upfield, or did did he officially have it for like one Mississippi? It's like, what is a football move? That's yeah, the other I mean, question. Like, define yeah. a football move. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much even just tucking in the football into your chest while you have it in this position where, again, you hear out of guys like Mike Pereira and Gene Steratore about why it's not considered a catch. But at the same time, again, it's the small things that cost teams. I mean, even Dallas Cowboy fans, I mean, the biggest one, Des Bryant, he was reaching for the goal line. And yet, I mean, I know that was a catch, but yeah, I just can't help but thinking about it knowing that that cost the cowboys but the best part was when mike mccarthy got introduced as their new head coach 
by the way, it was a catch at the press conference. And I'm like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> how evil is that? You screwed this team and now you join this team. <laughs> yeah, you got to bring it up. And <laughs> uh, but again, it was it was some of those plays that kind of cost Big Ben and the one that I'll never forget, I, I think it was Ike Taylor on the Steelers. It was the year that the Steelers or the Patriots were going undefeated. And Ike Taylor's like, you can't throw over to me. I got Randy Moss. I got him locked up all day. And what did Brady and Moss do? Just scored Ike Taylor and told him, Shh, you little boy, you don't need to talk right now. The grownups are handling this. That's what it felt like. And I remember watching that game because I remember watching the lead up to that. And I'm like, oh, man, you're just getting destroyed. Like, Taylor, you should not have talked about saying I can lock Randy Moss up. No one on this earth can lock Randy Moss up. Maybe Deion Sanders in his prime could have. But I don't think anyone else could in our in our day anyways. Hey, I mean, it's the whole thing about backing trash talk up. You got to play at the best of your ability. And, I mean, to stay with the Steelers and everything – and what some of the other uh, key losses, I mean, that he had. I, I still remember uh, the Denver Broncos game with Tim Tebow uh, in overtime. I mean, all it took was one play, and that Terrible. was the end of the game. And the Broncos ended up winning. Uh, that was the win for the Broncos. And for some other games, I mean, you remember, uh, obviously, the Jaguars game where they had the, the bye to rest, and – Jacksonville came in and just beat them down. Nope. And obviously last year, last year's game in the wild card, I mean, with the Steelers, they had everything going their way with the fact that they were 11 and 0 and you had a lot of things going right with Pittsburgh. And I mean, you had Juju's uh, midfield dances on the logo where again, those were for TikTok. Awesome. Yeah, on TikTok, and then of course Chase Claypool uh, saying losing. I don't know her and everything, but then of course that going into that Browns game. I mean, they didn't have Kevin Stefanski. You had the quote saying the Browns are the Browns from Juju, and then I believe Mike Tomlin. Of course, some would say he didn't help saying nameless gray faces as part of uh, his comments, and as a result, you end up getting stomped by Cleveland in the playoffs on your own field, even without their head coach. I mean, it was like 35 to nothing or 35 to seven at the end of the first quarter. Yep. And you saw, you saw also in big Ben's eyes, he was upset. He let down uh pouncy, his lineman and knowing that was, that was one of his final chances. And so big Ben still has plenty of great playoff wins. And I mean, the fact that he at such a young age was able to bring home the super bowl, super bowl 40 against the Seahawks. And then, that was yeah, more Jerome true. Bettis, though. Yeah, Jerome Bettis, what it meant. <laughs> and it was and, also uh, a lucky win in Indianapolis when uh, Peyton threw the pick. Or no, not Peyton threw the pick. Roethlisberger threw the pick and then got that uh, that crazy uh, tackle for the loss. Yeah, that was crazy. Because I remember, I was in, I remember like most of these games, too, where I was. I was in actually the hospital getting my ankle looked at. And I remember watching, like, Hey, can I watch the football game right now? And I remember putting it on. It was like the fourth quarter. I remember watching him like, oh my goodness, Indianapolis is going to win this. Peyton Manning's friend is going to win. Oh my goodness. And then pick. And then he missed. And I'm like, I give up on Peyton Manning. I give up already. You're never going to win anything. Tom Brady's and Ben Roethlisberger will always own you. 
Yeah, and then of course next year Pate would go on to win the Super Bowl against Rex Grossman and the Bears. <laughs> yeah, and have the greatest comeback at that point against Brady in Indianapolis in the AFC Championship game, being down by like 20-something points. But Big Ben, it seems like anytime there's a big game, that's why he's called Big Ben. He always showed up, and he was so difficult to take down. And the one thing you always remember about him is that one-handed pump fake. And I was listening to Brian Billick talk about it when and he, he played against them early on because he was the uh, former head coach of the Baltimore Ravens. And they took out Tommy Maddox, and he was saying, if we had known that Big Ben was going to be this difficult, we would never try to take out Tommy Maddox. We took Tommy Maddox to bring in Ben Roethlisberger, and we're like, oh, we're not worried. He does that one-arm pump fake, and everyone's like, everyone bites on it. Everyone. And you know it's coming, and you're still going to bite it, and still you're, that's where the separation would come with Antonio Brown, with all these great receivers, Heinz Ward, Antonio uh, Randall-L, all these receivers, they would, whoever's defending them would bite on this one arm, the one arm uh, pump fake, and then he, they were gone. So that was something that Brian Billick always said that I will never forget because I really wish we didn't take Tommy Maddox out of that game because that right there was the start of the Big Ben era for Pittsburgh. And it's crazy to think that Tommy Maddox was the quarterback for so long. And then you got this six foot, what, eight, nine guy coming in, this tree like dude who's huge, um, born in Ohio, coming in like, uh, that he just didn't seem like the new modern quarterback but he always feels like the old school quarterback like with the Favre and the Marino days like this is the era that he's from and that he should have really exceeded in but he exceeded in a better era with the Brady's with the Mannings with the Rivers with the other Eli Manning as well and there were so many good quarterbacks that he had to go against Carson Palmer Kurt Warners he had legendary battles against Carson Palmer as the member of the Cincinnati Bengals um he lost a few times to the to the Browns, but it always seemed like he just he knew when to be Big Ben and when not to. Yeah, and for you mentioned uh, his style of play, and you're, you're looking at this, and Big Ben is obviously one of the more pocket passers that was uh, part of that era, and with him retiring, I mean, again, it's been more focused on mobile QBs and. Also, sort of, I think people would say backyard passers, kind of mm-hmm. like what Patrick Mahomes is doing, where yep. you're you're creating the play, you're looking for a man downfield, and then you compare it to some of the other QBs right now. I mean, the the, the pocket passer era is at an end, and I mean Brady. I mean he can move at times, but he's still like at this point one of the last guys with the that pocket passer mentality. I mean Rogers at least has a strong arm with what has been elevating his game. And then, I mean, Matt Ryan is probably considered one of the other few guys that would qualify as pocket passer kind of a QB. And maybe Stafford as well. Yeah, Stafford I would put in that category. Just not known for their speed and moving downfield. But, again, you see guys like Mahomes, Murray, I mean, Prescott can move on the run. And then you you obviously know what Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen, of all people, is actually surprisingly good. On the as run. big as so he is, that, too, yeah. Yeah, that's what has been really working for a lot of these other teams and what their QBs have been capable of. But Big Ben, definitely a strong guy and a 
good QB that Pittsburgh will miss. And I mean, even though the last few years has been tough and they know that he just can't play at the same level anymore. But even then, that 2004 draft class will always be one to be remembered, especially with guys like Big Ben leading the way. Yeah, obviously two Super Bowls with Big Ben, two for Eli Manning. Unfortunately, Phillip Rivers was never able to get there. He was close a few times, but always ran into Tom Brady or someone else who just got in their way. And um, obviously five appearances for the Super Bowls for that draft class, and they'll always be remembered. Um, Speaking of upcoming quarterbacks, and obviously you have your hat, so I'm going to let you uh, take over real quick. Noah, with another big game that's coming up on Monday night, and it's not a it's not a uh, NFL game; it's a uh, college football game. So, Noah, take it away. Oh yeah, certainly, Eric. And of course, he's talking about the college football playoff championship game in Indianapolis as they have Georgia versus Alabama. Yes, surprise, surprise, Alabama is in the championship game again as they took down Cincinnati down in Dallas, and then you obviously saw Georgia beat Michigan, which, I mean, I was hoping for a closer game, but now you see it's a rematch of the SEC championship game where you had Bama win that matchup where it was 41-24, to and Kirby Smart obviously with what he's got to do as a head coach, knowing that he Nick Saban doesn't lose to former assistants. The only one to ever lose to beat Nick Saban was this year, Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M, and it took a game-winning field goal to take down the Crimson Tide. But then everyone's looking at this matchup. What's it going to be for Georgia with their passing game or even run game? That's been their strength also defense Mm -hmm. they have been so dominant on defense all year until they gave up about 41 points to alabama but now this is a game where it could be uh bama once again they hope a lot of people across the nation are hoping it's not alabama once again of course i want bama to win even as we're underdogs right now i believe uh Georgia's favorite to win, but as Eric even mentioned, you can't count out Alabama, never, even as an underdog. That should not even be existing. Just like Bill Belichick and Tom Brady being underdogs. That's 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 horse. That's horse crap. I'm sorry. LeBron James is also never an, an underdog. There are four people or four organizations that are never an underdog. Alabama football is one of those organizations that is never an underdog, as long as Nick Saban is still there. Um, I was looking at some of these stats. The one, There's a few things that really stood out to me when I was looking this up. Uh, Georgia has the better scoring defense, and they've only allowed – they've only had one game that was close, and that was their first game that was away in South Carolina against Clemson, and it was 10-3. to That was the first game of the season for Georgia. They've blown everyone else out. With Alabama, they've had five close games that were seven points or less – that's including the Auburn win, the LSU win, the Arkansas, Texas A&M. Even though they lost one of those, Florida win as well. They were close, and there, there were times that it didn't seem like Alabama was Alabama, and that's why they were ranked so low. But once you beat a team that has beaten a lot of teams, I feel that Alabama has a lot of, a lot of confidence going into this game. My other argument is, though, I feel that out of 10 – Nine out of ten times, you were going to see Alabama beat Georgia. I feel like in that SEC, <clears throat> sorry, that SEC championship game, that was that one game, and I feel that 
I think Georgia was really thinking about Alabama during that Michigan game that this is what we're going to do to you. This is what you did to us. You made us mad. Even Kirby Smart was super mad in that game. Uh, I think it was, what, going into halftime, and he was yelling at his quarterback, and I think they were trying to figure out, like, hey, we have the clock. We have timeouts. Let's go. Let's go. And I think the quarterback's like, why? We're already winning by, like, 20-something points. Let's let's show them a little mercy. No, I don't want to show mercy. At least that's how I took the that interaction with Kirby Smart, but – it seems like Alabama ranks better in every single con- in every single uh, category where it actually matters the most. Uh, Bryce Young is third rank in passing yards this season. They have a better scoring offense than forty one point four points per game. They have a thir- they have a better third down percentage. They rank third in the nation, second um, with completion or twelfth in completion percentage. Every uh, offensive statistical category, Alabama is in within the first. Top 15. Georgia's not even no anywhere near there. But defensively, you can see Georgia has they scored a lot more points off the turnovers. What didn't they really get in that NSCC championship game? Turnovers. So now you're really gonna see can Alabama make mistakes that Georgia can capitalize on? Or is Alabama just gonna run away with it again and have ball control with Bryce Song? And even though they're not, they're without their what their key running back, as you said earlier on when we were talking, Alabama is. Well, I mean, they're they're without their wide receiver in uh, Mechie, who um, okay. they said is one of the reasons why uh, the passing game has always been so key. And we they ran the ball a lot against Cincinnati. They didn't really turn much to Bryce Young to get the job done. And I mean, it's it stayed close at one point where, I mean, it was like 17 to like six. But then again, it's just that Cincinnati could not score a touchdown. And then looking at this upcoming game, you mentioned how Kirby Smart, he wants to bury Bama if yes. possible. He's going to really go, go pedal to the metal and not let up. He knows that's going to be the only way you're going to beat Nick Saban. But he knows then. That that's even when you think Nick Saban is down, that's not going to be the end of it. He, it's going to be a fight to the end. And even when they won the Orange Bowl, you had there. I remember at the end of the game, you had some of the players. They wanted to dump Gatorade on Kirby Smart, and he's like, "No, do not do that. Nope. Don't do that here." And he knows that he's got to keep the big focus on the picture of this championship game in Indianapolis. It's obviously not in their own state like the last time they faced them. That was in Georgia. And then, obviously, look at their QB situation because when they lost that game, it was against Tua when it was the young introduction of him throughout his career at Alabama. And, of course, a big pass in the corner to Devontae Smith, which won him the game. Mm-hmm. And that was a great game. That was just certainly a, a great game, of course, for Bama. But then you look at what this game holds. I mean, people are critical of Alabama's defense. What can it really do? And I mean, because of course the Florida game was an issue and then Texas A&M was a problem, but then you end up with this low scoring game against Auburn in the iron ball. That was uh, where the defense started the show again. And then they, they forced the mistakes against uh, Georgia where they were able to, I believe they got a pick six in the game, but so far um, looking at what they Old Nick Saban is a top coach, a quality guy, and this he knows that um, that Kirk, beating Kirby Smart twice is difficult, and he realizes that. 
he's a humble guy in that regard as respecting your opponent that's the one thing that always got to be key with like experience mm-hmm. you always got to respect your opponent because that you don't want to give him anything and then i mean he, i'm sure nick saban will tell you that i i'm pretty sure he said it that yes yeah, cincinnati was a good football team that they put up their best effort and recognizes what they're able to do and he's going to do the same thing again to georgia but of course Georgia, they know Georgia needs this win because you lose over and over and over again, getting the same result. That's not that's not a rivalry. That's called insanity, and Georgia cannot take it if they end up losing this game once again to Alabama. I think the teams that beat Alabama are the ones that stay true to themselves. Think about Clemson when they had Deshaun Watson. They knew Watson's going to run around. He's going to make some plays and then ends up throwing the, the touchdown in the quarter of the end or the front half of the end zone. You look at uh, Ohio State when they had Zeke Elliott and that uh, the first playoff game for Alabama and Ohio State, Ezekiel Elliott ran for like 200 something yards. The teams that know themselves and know their strengths, they stick with them and they don't allow Alabama to exploit their weaknesses enough. And I think if Kirby Smart can run the ball, have ball control offense and meaning they run the table. They have the play or the uh, possession arrow on their side. They have the time of possession on their side. If they can do that, I really feel that Georgia could really bring it to them. And if they can learn from their mistakes in the SEC championship game, in the national championship game from a couple of years ago, years ago. Now I know it wasn't more them on that side, but if they can at least try to learn from those mistakes and eliminate the mistakes that they made, they really they will have a chance. But you just can't count Alabama out. I the, I think this season to begin with, when them going eight and one, they were counted out so many times. They still kept fighting back, and I think these five close games were a really big testament to what Alabama can do. They're going to keep it close, but they will strike. And it's like the Tom Brady uh, metaphor I used to use years ago. If you don't put Tom Brady down on the ground, if you give him air for even just one second, that's going to be enough for him to come back and, and take you down. Just like Bill Belichick, same thing with Nick Saban. If you give them a chance to breathe, they will have that breath and they will take you down. And then they will flip the script on you and bury you instead. It's the same people. There's only very few people in the world that you can do that to. Nick Saban is one of them. You have to bury them. You have to keep them down. Why did the Patriots lose to the Eagles those couple years ago? Because the Eagles stayed true to themselves. Same thing with Clemson and the and the championship game later on or that year as well, or whenever they played, they stayed true to themselves. If Georgia can stay true to themselves, really rely on the defense instead of their offense, I think Georgia is going to win this game. Yeah, a lot of it's going to be coming down to try and pressure Bryce Young and then also knowing that Alabama might use more of a running game, getting to Robinson, that is going to be their focus on just limiting his play. And, I mean, you mentioned time of possession. That was also one big factor of what was in that SEC championship game, that Bama was trying to at least run out the clock as much as possible, but yet Georgia still got the ball back, but then Bama still kept putting up points in that second half. That put the game out of reach. And so it's going to come down to pretty much where that first half lies for Georgia, what they're going to be able to do. And I'm sure Kirby Smart has been thinking about this all week. And I'm sure his team is as long as they don't overthink the tactics and what they need to do, because that's the worst thing that you could possibly do as a head coach. Think 
keep overthinking and un- misunderstanding things because you mentioned use your strengths and even you could beat a top team like Alabama with like even they have the top recruiting class. But again, I expect an exciting game, especially in Indi- in Indianapolis because this is I think the first time that's actually been in uh, the Colts Stadium. All right, so prediction time, Noah. What are your uh, predictions for this game? So for I'm assuming you're going with yeah. Alabama, but you know, I could be wrong. Yeah, NBA. yeah. Again, I mean, I know it's tough to try and beat Georgia twice. I mean, hasn't really happened, and I mean, it, because again, I mean, how often do you really play them? But I'm gonna stick with it. I think Alabama wins. We beat Georgia again, and I think it's a sim- th- These games have been more of a high-scoring affair. So I'm going to say Alabama 36, Georgia 28. All right. So an eight-point game. I, I'm i going to go Alabama. I'm going to go less points, though. I think it's going to be 42-38. And I, I, I like Georgia. I always have. I don't know why. I just kind of – as I'm getting older, I'm not much more of a Penn State fan as much as I used to. My family is, and I'm with them, but – I've kind of always liked Michigan State. I've always liked Georgia. And you just can't really count out Alabama anytime. So I'm going to go 42-38 uh, in favor of the Crimson Tide. And I hate to say it, but I just I just feel that they're going to do it. And maybe this will be the year. Maybe Georgia will have a good first half, but you got to play both halves the same way. And if they can't play the same way, then Alabama is just going to crush you. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but yeah, I don't think I have anything. Else. <laughs> Go ahead, say it again. Roll tide, roll. <laughs> uh, yeah, hopefully they roll out the building. You know, maybe they don't make it to the building. Maybe Georgia wins by default. <laughs> I mean, at this point, that's probably the only way they're going to win. <laughs> probably. That sounds so bad to say. <laughs> but. So normally we end the show on a quote of the day. Next week, I'll have you do the quote of the day, Noah. All right. All right. So, but the quote of the day today is from a English poet. Uh, he was the founder of the romantic movement in England, William or yeah, Samuel Taylor Cooleridge. And the quote is advice is like snow because we're getting snow today. Advice is like snow. The softer it falls, the longer it dwells upon and the deeper it sinks into the mind. So advice is like the snow, the softer it falls, the longer it dwells upon and the deeper it sinks into the mind. Uh, I thought that was kind of ironic that we are supposed to get snow here in Pennsylvania tonight into tomorrow. And I hope we do because I hope school gets canceled and then I don't have to work tomorrow. So I am praying for that. Well, highly doubt it, but we'll see. Uh, for Eric Miller and Noah Peckle, I don't know if you have anything else to say, buddy, but now's the chance. Uh, again, uh, it's going to be an exciting weekend. But again, one more time, roll, tide, roll into the championship. Let's do that. <laughs> Uh, yeah anyways i'm gonna end on that note (laughs) for noah peckler eric miller we'll see you guys next time and until next time